0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of Lost Explorers. I am your host, J. David Osborne. That is my co-host and very good friend, Chris Sacknessum, and we are doing something different this time. But before we get to all of that, I was wondering, uh, Chris, how are you doing today?
1: David, I'm... I'm in a really interesting sort of place. Uh, the weather has turned. It's definitely a hint of, of winter time here. There's a whole different mood and vibe. and uh, this is my first, this will be my first uh, late autumn winter in this new location, you know, in the mountains, and I'm really starting to feel that. But also there's a whole bunch of really interesting stuff converging in my mind and in 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 my life, which I think I, I don't see a clear picture, but I see some intriguing vibrations that are energizing.
0: Yes, yes. I feel these vibrations as well. This is the time of the year when I am at my creative peak, lucky enough for this personal episode. But I think it has something to do with the end of the Halloween season sort of the lingering cosmic psychic vibes of meditations on death and things ending many people consider spring to be the time when everything is fresh and new but for me it's this 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 small window november december before the real winter sets in when the air is crisp but the sun is still shining and the roads are still drivable that anything seems possible my favorite time of the year hands down
1: I I hear you I think that's uh, it it really is a beautiful transitional season and it's appropriate I think that uh, you know thinking imaginative connected people really engage with that transitional oscillating quality of it because it is it's it is really energizing in a way that I don't know I think you're right I don't I I don't think of the spring quite that way, you know, ever. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's good. We'll make the most of it. We'll make the most of it.
0: We absolutely will. I have my five words to choose two. That mechanism is still in place for this episode. If you've been listening to Lost Explorers for the past 120, 130 at this point, episodes. Do I have that right? I think this is
1: episode 127 in our official list currently yeah but it's right it's amazing it's amazing yeah
0: Yeah. but i feel like you had an idea last week that i think is every, every single episode that we've done of this show has laid the groundwork for for what we are about to do which i'm very excited about i've always thought of podcasting as a medium not just for interviews or even conversation, but for performance. The question being, of course, how does one enact a performance over just a conversation, just a voice chat between two people? And I think you've got it figured out. So what are we going to be doing today?
1: Okay, well, we're going to play a game. I have said that I think that... uh, You know, people like Ray Kurzweil says that intelligence is about the ability to solve problems with limited resources. And I see it much more in terms of play, a a joyful participation in a game, uh, an engagement, strategizing. And so we're going to go to a kind of imaginary writer's room as a writing team with a premise that I have generally outlined and uh, in future you know, I think we'll work with a premise that you come up with but I've got a general outline and then once you've been briefed on that and this is the first time that David has heard this I've not shared a whisper of this uh, but he has coincidentally been in a kind of a cyberpunk groove again and so there there are some resonances and we're kind of always in a weird sort of sync even without Uh, directly acknowledging that Um, but then we're gonna work through and try to come up with the outlines and key moments of the pilot episode so it really is very performance very craft but underlying it is is the the deeper notion of conversation as a kind of very potent and healing game you know I think that's what we need to get back to and I, I'm encouraged on this note, my, my group of students uh, this fall has been outstanding and a great relief coming out of COVID. And they are talking about the importance of conversation, the art of conversation. We need to bring that phrase back. So we have that building up to, and I will hopefully be able to get through my premise uh, fairly succinctly, but we do have the old um, standby segments of where I come up with a band name and an aphorism, and I'll do that very quickly. Uh, I discovered that Adelie penguins or Adelie penguins in Antarctica are considered to have the intelligence of free-range chickens. So my band name are the Free Rangers and they their first album is called Chicken Intelligence and all of their uh, post-modern deconstructionist music, they take on all of the, the major genres, hip-hop, rap, uh, bar rock, country western, everything, and they turn it into an intelligence test. Of, of musical segments so the free rangers and chicken intelligence because it's hard to say just how intelligent a free range chicken is and that, yeah, i
0: was gonna say how is that even measured yeah yeah take, well take, the, take an iq test for a chicken
1: it, it's a little bit of it's disturbing isn't it well what do you do john well i'm i'm involved in the measurement of intelligence of poultry you know it, it you'd be concerned wouldn't you I mean if my I don't know yeah. if I had a daughter or meet a guy like that I'd go or you know or son meet a guy like that I'd go no he's not in the family I'm sorry no
0: yeah he's uh, he's he's the special guy who we you know just whatever you do at Thanksgiving don't don't start talking about the turkey itself, right. because oh there you go, go. To, there you, you go. Get oh. that, once you get that ball rolling, it's going all the way downhill. So.
1: All right. Well, look, we might have to bookmark that as, as as an as the next performance present you know a premise to work with. I like I like your thinking about that. I think that's very good. Uh, okay. I've got two aphorisms because I can't stop my brain, and I am I'm, I'm going to share them. Uh, the first is. Modernity, and David and I have been talking about what defines the modern age, so many different ideas about that, so many different time frames for it. But my notion is modernity is first of all simply and brutally light and noise. You know, my idea is let's get really structural and think about well, what does the world look like? That's so different well there's a shitload of electric lights and a lot more amplified noise ambient sound yeah. you know that's a crucial difference my second one is and this ties in with the theme of our uh, our TV show premise there's all the difference in the world between something that can't be seen and something that's not paid attention to hmm okay are you ready okay. is everybody ready for this this is uh, i haven't given this a tremendous amount of thought it is just a general uh tv show type of premise uh we make no claims about the uh the quality of it uh, the originality of it or anything but i think it's a good fun way to demonstrate some of the principles Uh, that David and I have been exploring in the whole Lost Explorers project. The working title of this show premise is Haunteds, plural. And Haunteds is spelled I-D-S, okay? Mm -hmm. As in Mm mantids, as in the biological uh, use of that. Haunteds, plural. We're talking about an X-Files paranoia show, meeting cultural commentary. I really want to get into some Cold War, shadowy forces, conspiracy, uh, but to not have it all be just tonally dark. And here's the working tagline. In a world of the woke, that's a capital W woke, in a world of the woke, what happens to dreams? Okay. And uh, some references that came up that I think that were in the, that I've traced down are Frank Zappa's wonderful song Outside Now, it's my favorite piece of, of his music with Ike Willis on lead vocals, it's from Joe's Garage, if you don't know it, it's just, it's just beautiful, It's and it's also one of his most famous guitar solos, but it's just a, I can't wait to see what's on the outside now, I mean, that's a great lyric. Uh, there's also a fantastic lost radio theater album by the Firesign Theater in the next world you're on your own, and it's mm-hmm. worth checking That's out just play. for the cover alone, just for the cover. I it, it, I don't know if R. Crumb did it. I don't think he did, but it has this crazy uh, postmodern melange. Uh, that is perfect for the title. In the next world, you're on your own. Uh, William Burroughs, Philip K. Dick, from a from a literary point of view, but also from the they have a shared thing of rethinking social progressivism, Uh, and I think that's worth thinking about. Okay, down to business. Our key protagonist is named Praise Goodman. She's a 17-year-old, psychologically unstable white girl living in a generic computer suburb of LA, okay? She's bright, which is called a cap as in capability, but disassociated. She doesn't go to climate church won't seek absolution for her whiteness, doesn't want to transition to male, won't say the diversity and inclusion pledge, and won't tune into the resonance ceremonies. Okay, so you can see that we've got a pretty sharp-lined satire about social progressivism today, and I just that's not my personal sort of point of view entirely, <laughs> but I think mm-hmm. we need some fun that way. I think that that this is really one of the things that's been missing. Uh, right, because you know, nobody will touch these things. Everybody's, no. You know,
0: it doesn't really matter one way or the other. People often mistake, what well, you hear all the time, don't conflate the art with the artist, and that's just not really true anymore, is it? It's basically the artist... If an artist writes a rape scene, they're a rapist. And uh, because of that, now we, we can't even, I mean, come on, we can't even just like have a little bit of fun. Yeah, that, well, I it's think it's not, on, it's on not that level. Even a little bit funny? I think I
1: it's know. on that level. I mean, I talk about fragility, which is a real you know, common word today. I mean, I think that the moment you're above satire and you're trying to work on an institutional mainstream sort of level, there, there's a fundamental problem. That's that's a kind of totalitarian sort of point of view that's really quite weird. Uh, so it is just fun. But the social commentary, uh, you know, it looks at what an extreme degree of some of the current trends might look like at a teenage level. Um, and it... it the most important thing is is the is the personal character stories, not the ideology. But the that 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 look at the ideology technologized into uh, a kind of science fiction conspiracy theory X Files espionage sort of frame does raise some possible fun things of. Uh, some gimmicks, you know, uh, like icontronics, like exoskeletal body armor that you can put on that makes you sort of more of an adventure action hero, Marvel Universe character. Affirmation chambers in your, you know, teenage rooms where you can go and, and get all this positive feedback from completely, you know, non-existent avatars. Uh, reinforcers, you know, all this stuff fighting teenage angst and anxiety today but here's the here's the kicker and we start moving into to real plot line her apparent psychological problems as deemed by her parents friends in the school system intensify when she starts hallucinating or so she would like to think to some extent but her parents and others clearly do think people are trying to contact her and perhaps abduct her Okay, the hinge point of the pilot episode is that the peoples, people she's seeing are as real as she is. They're just offline, okay? Mm-hmm. So the underlying premise is uh, not just the people getting neural implants to connect with the internet and to stay online permanently. I mean, this is something that people like uh, Kurzweil and other you know, futurists, are insisting is inevitable, you know. Uh, right. in, this, in our show, this has already happened with nanotechnology supplements. Uh, a CIA MK Ultra, we love that sort of stuff, a lot of our listeners do. You know, a kind of uh, u- ubiquitous sort of almost fluoride in the water program of mind control was released at some point in the past. Uh, a free range, going back to our chicken thing, a free range sort of psychobio contagion, which has led to not directly caused, but it has led to the cultural land mindscape of today: consumerism as catechism, noise and anger as music, victimology, culture wars. The fact, I mean, we just accept culture, the culture war phrase and idea as as a given. Uh, I that's kind of weird. Uh, The internet and social media addiction. Meanwhile, of course, very structural crises such as crime, homelessness, drug addiction, refugees from around the world and mass mental illness go almost unnoticed. Okay, so Praise's problem is that some of the Haunted's that appear to her want to rescue her and convert her to their cause of rebellion and subversion they're kind of memory terrorists, which I think is an interesting idea. Another group want to use their special outsider status. They're off the grid. They're not visible, physically visible to people who are conditioned. Uh, they want to take over. They're kind of like corrupt pirates who, who really want to uh, just replace the woke and and take over mainstream control Uh, and then there are uh, the what the haunted's call the sleeping dead who are the agents of control knowingly or not and I think that's a nice ironic take on controls that perhaps you could be in control and not know you know this is one of the issues of our time it's used in very different ways Um, and somewhere Mythically, maybe, in the legendary terms of the show, the control nest, the originators of this experiment, may still be somehow uh, operational. Maybe not physically alive in the old biocarbon-based sense, but they're still functioning. But are they in control anymore if they really do exist, and were they ever So there's a whole lot of stuff to get to. I think this could easily go over 10 episodes, maybe longer. But there, and there are some great possible little phrases and terms that are very, you know, in common parlance to some extent, but we would sort of take ownership of them. Mainstreaming someone, that's revealing a haunted to the sleeping dead, somehow making them visible and therefore vulnerable to uh, attack. Uh, neutralization or capture, you know, deadminding. Uh, I'm not sure what that phrase would mean, but I think it's a cool one. Um, But anyway, to summarize, we have an evasion escape drama, a treasure hunt hero's quest within a kind of science fiction, uh, X-Files, The Invaders, Nowhere Man, just that whole frame uh, blended with or laced laced with some cultural satire which we would hope would be inclusive uh in a sort of south park way and and, uh, capable of offending uh, multitudes so that's the premise what do you think
0: i think it's great i think we've got to start this bad boy off with a terrorist attack and the terrorist attack could take place in montage with praise in her affirmation chamber we could see that many people are doing their daily bit in their affirmation chamber and we cut back and forth to a kind of high-tech cyberpunk cool uh, uh, infiltration scene mission impossible style we've got people who are hacking in uh, violently breaking in to a type of headquarters with a sort of mainframe all with the goal and we would see this over the course of perhaps a four or five minute opening sequence of infiltrating the affirmation chamber software and as praise is getting her daily affirmations suddenly uh, the affirmations begin to get unintelligible and then a bit sinister that's my thought process, and this this has a huge fallout, right? This is something that makes the news because people are walking out of their affirmation chamber, and their their bubble has been violently burst by these memory terrorists. And some of them go straight to, you know, the toaster in the bathtub option.
1: Okay, you know that's this is fascinating because you've gone big canvas to the the, mm-hmm. the cultural ripple of this. And I think that um, that sort of sums up a, maybe what would be the oscillating dynamic of the show, which is a very common feature of, you know, super big canvas and then super close-up focus on the individual. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, that that's a great film technique. And even, you know, people like, I think, I don't know, Peter Jackson, who I really don't like really much of, uh, but he does that beautifully, you know these huge battle scenes with orcs and then one close up and so going backwards and forwards, so I'm gonna follow that up and and say, okay, we're going to be kind of uh alchemically mixing those two uh and and you know maybe sometimes very uh structurally dovetailing them in a much more obvious way but i I want to um get straight to to praises uh possible hallucinations, because that's a really powerful doubt to have. I mean, it's one thing to sort of, you know, kind of not be getting along with people and, uh, you know, having trouble in school or thinking your parents are weird. All of that's fairly normal. We've kind of forgotten, you know, that about teenagers, you know. But when you actually start seeing people that other people don't see, that's a real, really crucial mental health boundary to cross and i think that's one of the big issues of our our time is what what people are seeing uh fairly physically uh, or certainly to them anyway that other people just can't get i mean this is one Mm -hmm. of the big Mm -hmm. you know problems of our time isn't it it's just like for some people things are so obvious and they're completely invisible or non-existent to others um So I wanted to to focus on the moment she has a real interaction with one of the Haunted's that she can't ignore. And I thought it would be interesting if he were a a black dude. And that raises all sorts of social, racial, you know, uh, interaction questions. But he is the the agent uh, of trying to... Uh, protect her meanwhile she's going to be pursued by this other sort of segment of the Haunted's who have and all of these people you know they're doing their own campaigns and different things I think what you've started is with you know is this hacking of of the affirmation chambers Um, but she has this interaction with the haunted that is nominally her protector, not that he doesn't have his own uh, or their own, uh, well, desires, you know, for, haunt, you know, for uh, uh capabilities and, and, and what her future holds. Uh, so there's that interaction. So we've got two different streams of, of things in play, big canvas and this real close-up thing. So I'll throw it back to you.
0: I think that there definitely has to be an opening... There has to be an opening bit where we get to know who her character is. And I'm almost thinking that this could work as a sort of fight club in miniature where her haunted protector uh, is just accepted as an actual character. And we don't... We obviously, we don't go all the way to the end of the episode to do the big reveal but we find out maybe within the first 10, 15 minutes that it's not a real person. So this could be somebody who she's talked to before. Uh, It could be somebody who she's met for the first time. It could, in fact, would probably be a good idea for the black guy to appear at first as a kind of sinister pursuing force, kind of like the men in black of many conspiracy theories. You know, these people who sort of show up at areas of high strangeness and you know, tail people. Uh, Have you heard the term gang stalking?
1: No. Oh, tell me. I want to make sure I I I, I was going to say, yes, I did, but I want to make sure.
0: People, gang stalking is now the term for people who believe themselves to be targeted individuals by the government. So it's people who believe that the government is using, you know, sort of subsonic uh, weaponry on them, implanting thoughts in their head, following them, sending them coded messages. That's the the term for the kind of Philip K. Dick paranoia is is now gang, being gang stalked. And I wonder if, you know, the classic kind of reversal wouldn't be in play here where this person who we believe, uh, oh, how about this? Um, if we're sort of introduced to people, what if her her best friend, right, in school is part of the evil Haunted group of haunteds, right? So she's got it all back. Oh, I like that. I like, more... that. I like
1: that. I like that. Um, I think I need to insert here some clarity that, that the, the haunteds, both on sort of the good side, if you like, and, and the, the not so good side, uh, they're, they're all real people. They, like mm-hmm. praise, simply didn't take the Kool Aid, so to speak. So at some point we may, we're going to have to work out what the Kool-Aid element maybe a nanotechnology sort of you know supplement or something that that got into the populace like a virus you know that that has made a certain kind of consciousness possible and there are people who lie outside that and, and there are different reasons why It could be that they were schizophrenic to start with. It could be, you know, we could have a whole bunch of different things that way. But I like the idea of getting into uh, praises, friend. I think that's a crucial, crucial role, um, which would be a delicious role for uh, a young actor to play, I think. Because we don't know if this is sort of an Iago figure or, maybe you know maybe a really truly good friend you know Mm -hmm. um in any case she's praised as really only uh real friend and there's lots of i think interesting ways to play on that real idea um but i like the fact that that we're not talking about computer simulation as as the premise for this that this is Mm -hmm. a real world sort of thing and I've kind of gone off the computer simulation, you know. Even though maybe because it's been done so well, and I'm not saying this is entirely a break from that, but it, it mechanistically it is. It's an attempt to do something that that isn't The Matrix or Otherland or uh, Necromant, yeah, not Um mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. But I like the friend. Okay, let's give her a name. Let, let's build... We, we've got an overarching premise now, and we've got some tonal uh, flavoring to it. Let's really dig into the character. and I'm, I'm liking this friend a lot. Uh, what's her name?
0: Um, her name what comes to mind uh, melina ophelia something with an uh at the end of it melina uh,
1: i like melina let's first thought best thought let's go with that because that that has all sorts of flavorings and textures to it right there Uh, all right let's flesh her out a little bit
0: so these uh so praise is still in school correct she's still yeah yeah. yes like senior
1: in high school really bored, lost, uh, marginally part of the whole scene, uh, but definitely, you know, forced to attend counseling, uh, considered to be, uh, you know, a, a worry. Um, well,
0: that's a, perfect, that's a perfect opportunity then for Melina to be something... She, we could go two ways. She could be the popular girl, which should feel a little bit off to the viewer that this troubled teenager, considering the social dynamics of high school, would be friends with this very popular girl. Or you could go the other direction and she's kind of like a hot goth, like, like in the craft, like that kind of, like the, a kind of rebel figure who seems to be guiding her more towards, um, more towards trouble. Although both sides could bring her into trouble. Right? because we do want to have several scenes that establish in what way she's troubled both in the rejection of the you know the sort of paradigms that that the world has devolved into but also in perhaps more typical teen fashion of you know going to parties and you know abusing alcohol and drugs and things of that nature so those are the two paths that i could possibly see like Goth chick or mysteriously uh, socially inappropriate uh, popularity.
1: I, I like the latter choice. I think that's more, uh, I, in more in contrast to praise. And I think the dynamics of that would be a lot more interesting, dramatically and, and you know, comedically if, if appropriate. I've got a couple of things to, uh, just to chime in that you triggered. Uh, I think paradigm is a good good word here. It's overused generally, sadly. Uh, but there are all these paradigms in circulation, and all of them have some design on praise. That's, she's the, the hero because of she's the true individual. You know, we're back to that that theme of, of the nineteen sixty you know, that the whole like the prisoner, you know, series with you know that Patrick Pagoon did. Yeah. Uh, that that real sense of the embattled individual from both, you know, from all perspectives, conservative, progressive, wherever, you know, everyone has some thing to that they want her for. So she, although she's on a treasure hunt herself, in some ways, she is the treasure that these uh, antagonistic or and protagonist forces are all pursuing. And I think that's an interesting sort of, you know, and that's kind of like, you know, a lot of, uh, well, the Hulk, um, the Incredible Hulk, the, the Fugitive, you know. I love those sorts of things where, you uh, to be pursued, but to also be pursuing. It's such a great, you know uh kind of the the ultimate structure really. Um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: it's what's interesting is that within these contexts then, you know, praise has both an ideal form of being the individual and then we would work backwards to the sort of underdeveloped, immature teenager version of that. Yes, I like, I like that. Of, well, I like the idea of of giving some credence to... Because, you know, the, you know teenagers have been completely infantilized at the, by this point, right? I mean, they're essentially babies. They, they're not able to make any decisions for themselves. We have to protect them. We have to helicopter them, all of these things. And there's some truth to that. Physiologically, their brains are not developed. I mean, I was that age, so were you... And we both know that you make dumb decisions then, right? But but there's also some seeds of of rebellion that I think the world has a way of beating out of you. Which this this whole story on a certain level could work as an allegory for of you know, of these of these impulse like what, what's good about being a teenage contrarian, a misanthrope, somebody who doesn't quite fit in.
1: Well, we need to get back to some of those, uh, those questions, because I think that was what the golden era of drama, at least in the 60s and 70s, across television, but certainly in the movies, that, that they really, you know, and we kind of lost all those themes. Uh, we've also lost the questioning of, of, you know, well, who's really sane? You know, that, you, that was kind of, that became a cliched question, unfortunately. And I think that, that that needs to get back into popular entertainment once more, that it's time to revisit that from another, uh, you know, another angle. Um, I, I had two stray small-scale thoughts. One is really important, though, uh, and one is... I'll, I'll do, this, I'll do the, the less important one first. Uh, I think one of the tropes of the show... And tropes are, you know, they're unavoidable, but I think they can be good things. Is that they're, uh, is, they're constant active shooter drills? Constant. Mm-hmm. They happen all the time, and it's just it's just a little motif that sort of sort. But the bigger thing that I thought of here, and uh, which is, it doesn't have to be called attention to in any direct way at all because it's so structural. But it, it really underscores a theme or question of the show, I think Molina should be uh, Praise's immediate next-door neighbor, that their contact is, is physical by definition and always has been. But it, it's just, it, it, it goes without saying. It's unavoidable. And that's one of the thematic sort of, you know, kind of thing, is like what really is unavoidable to see and perceive and to deal with And what can you ignore? I mean, what... I mean, Philip K. Dick said reality is is what's there even if you don't believe in it. But what if reality is defined as like what you can't ignore? Full stop, you know? Yeah,
0: I'm writing that down. Reality is what you can't ignore. You just made something pop into the front of my mind. I love the idea of Praise going to school, sitting down at her desk next to Melina... they begin small talk and then an active shooter drill begins they're instructed to go under their desks and they continue their conversation while a very realistic active shooter drill is going on outside so we're talking gunshots screams And they are sort of carrying on their conversation as though it was a fire drill. You know how kids are always, you know, cutting up and just kind of talking while it's going on. But I love the idea of hearing somebody saying, No, no, God, please. And then shots going off, and they're just like, So, what'd you do last night? Like, you know, just kind of having this sort of how normalized that has become. You
1: know, I almost love that for the opening scene because it does it just would instantly put you into a position of kind of understanding some of the, the, you know, the reality that that's that's about to unfold so, so directly, you know, and it also kind of raises the question, well, is this uh, a pure drama or is this a comedy? or where, where are we going with that, you know? And it, it would instantly establish the connection between these two girls slash young women, you know, and, and the, the, the dynamic of that friendship and the, the transitional state that they're in. You know, I always love, you know, when you use the word transition today, it has become such a weird, specialized meaning. Whereas not so long ago, we used to think that growing up was by definition, transitional, you know, and there were a lot of transitions to go through, not just, you know, kind of one. And I think we've forgotten that, you know, so I love that as an opening scene. I really do. just
0: and not you know. to not to hop around too much, but perhaps my proposed opening scene of this attack attack on the Affirmation Chamber psychonet, perhaps that could be the first episode's ultimate conspiracy that comes to fruition that Praise is getting signals for that she's beginning she's beginning to see that something's amiss, right? Uh, I feel like the first episode should definitely lead like, the halluc- the, her hallucinations and her paranoia lead to, you know, a first hour of TV that is just pure, distilled PKD paranoia, right? That ultimately ends in a real attack happening. What do you think about that?
1: I think you know. Well, I, I have two thoughts. I think it's. I think that that's absolutely important to have in there. I I was seeing some of that as kind of a the really powerful, uh, fragmentary, but but nonetheless I think coherent intro to the show, and that that might be something that we see. You know, that's part of the titles, the opening titles. You know. That takes that does it does a lot of it could do a lot of really interesting visual storytelling, you know? You could really set the art direction scene, the flavor, which is important to do. Um, and there would need to be, I think, some key words for, you know, just what the look of it is, you know, what's it like? What's what's it not like? How is how is it different really visually in the sense of of styling, you know, and I think we could, we could do some interesting things with that in the opening and that would cover those, you know, in, in subject terms, it would cover exactly what you outlined, but then, and then if you then cut to the active shooter drill on these two, uh, girls, you know, these friends, I think that's a really powerful, you know, uh, platform setting anyway, you know?
0: Yeah, because my understanding of cyberpunk is that it's essentially everything that we think is cutting edge today has been completely normalized and everything's been cranked up several notches so cyberpunk in general though it can have quiet moments and character moments is a a genre of extremities and that's where the the humor comes from that's where the that's where a lot of the the fun comes from so where do you what do you see because we can we can fit in a lot of the details of the world with this but in terms of her her journey on the in the first episode obviously there's the reversal she would find out that uh melina in fact was not necessarily her best friend slash next door neighbor but was in fact you know an agent of the perhaps the bad side of the of the of the haunteds but what do you think, sort of on a brass tax level, we should be looking at for for a, a propulsion device from scene to scene?
1: I think that, that there's going to have to be the introduction of the the genuinely uh, antagonistic force uh, trying to abduct her, which would be yeah. the kind of uh, shadow government of today who, who are... They they're they're both kind, they're kind of in two worlds that they they can't perceive the haunted. they they have a kind of maybe a radar capability you know pretty vague really they can't fully perceive them but they are certainly aware of their presence and their direction is to to stamp those people out and their motivation of, of for praise is they want her capability they want her to be uh, the identifier of haunted and to be kind of a, a predator or b- bounty hunter for them, you know, uh, or a device for, for, for them that she's going to be used by them in that sense. So they've got to make their move on her, uh, and the, uh, Molina and the other haunted, uh, uh, the black dude I suggested, perhaps, um, And I think, I don't know, we could call him T-Vaughn, you know? Uh, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Those two forces have to uh, either come to, well, come to the rescue or come to, uh, I don't know, some uh, interaction with praise when the the shadowy forces of the, you know, the so-called real world, uh, the walking, you know, woke... uh, the sleeping dead however the haunted call them uh, when they make their move on her right what the, what right. form they take is it a school counselor school counselors always give me the willies they do you know yeah, they're creepy right oh I mean really truly you know um, and it's so it, it's so vague and shadowy what the what the relationship with students there is what you know questions of confidentiality it's just it's just fraught you know I mean I'm not saying it's not necessary I have a lot of admiration for people who go into that field but I think it, it's, it's just fraught with problems so I think that might be the avenue and we might see an enforced because praise is having problems an enforced counseling session that gets a little creepy and maybe creepy in ways that you know that we're not talking about the the normal creepy ways (laughs) if you know what i mean yeah
0: yeah yeah. so building up to this sort of outburst that would require a counseling session i think we can show that pretty easily i like the idea of (sighs) a reversal on the on the, the, the stereotypical bullying right where normally the bullies are calling them all sorts of nasty names I like the idea of a bully that is, you know, sort of questioning her wokeness, for lack of a better term. Right. Like, do you even, you know, like, it's kind of like schooling her on how sort of out of date she is with all the. Oh, I,
1: I, I think that's really. And with the age reversal sort of thing, I think that's that's fascinating. That's fascinating.
0: I also, uh, sorry, just real quick, I like the idea of having a home life scene where both of her parents are trans, where they've just reversed roles.
1: I think that's, yeah, that, that's great. That, that just, yeah, I mean, that, that, that perfectly sits. And that, that could be done in, in such a, wouldn't that be really fantastic if it was done with some real subtlety and nuance? And
0: right. I'm not. Yeah. Exactly. I don't want it to be clowning. I mean, I I would almost want the scene to be played completely straight. No, totally. The, you
1: know, straight with, for lack of trends. a better word, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so it, with just complete logical clarity. That is, uh, it would only be confusing because of of our own biases. It, it rhetorically would make no no argument at all. That would be the yeah. the, the goal, the success of that. And, and the quality of the acting and direction, I think that's that's absolutely a cool. And I, I thought of a way to introduce the other haunted, t and Immediately, you know, in the wake of the active shooter drill, which was conducted with such uh, reality for us, the viewers, and Everyone could see the whole thing unfolding, right? Because everyone is, is, uh, is part of that, that world. And Praise doesn't know that she transitions between what the Haunteds can see and what the, uh, the Sleeping Dead are, are doing. Um, the black dude shows up in school to get her. And here we have what appears to be a very active shooter, position, and nobody... Nobody else sees him except mm-hmm. the counselor.
0: Mm. Yep. There we go.
1: So we then know for sure that she's not imagining. That's the, the, from the audience point of view. We're absolutely convinced now that we can trust her perspective.
0: Yeah. What is the counselor? The counselor just acknowledges that he's there, essentially.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I think almost, you know, without, well, he loses control because it's something he can't ignore. There's an instantaneous response that would be at really a noticeable odds with his normal demeanor, which it might even be something that could be uh, technologically modified very, very subtly, you know? imagine just a little tiny distortion in the so-called normal people, what I'm calling the sleeping dead. Uh, the, the vast bulk of people, in other words. Um, mm-hmm. Just something a little bit odd about them, you know, that, that maybe a lot of like viewers wouldn't exactly pick up on. It would register psychologically. But people who are really, you know, you know very sensitive watchers would notice it and they could pick it out I don't know what it would be but you know what I mean the,
0: the counselor in particular I'm thinking of uh the the actor matt Lucas who's on the great British bake off I'm not sure oh, if he, uh, I don't know remember. but I'm gonna okay well, I'll, hold on I'll send you a picture actually as we're talking uh I just think he has like that uncanny creepy look to him so I've sent that through
1: I, you know this is a beautiful thing about re- oh perfect yes see now that this is what uh, the whole process is, is, is not too secretly about because I had that image in mind I didn't have the articulation of it the, the specifying of it isn't specifying a beautiful word, you know, and that's what language does. And that's what, what art to a large extent really is about, you know, when you think about it, that's where the, the, it, the satisfaction of it is so deep that we take it for granted and we we move along with the momentum of it, whether it be the melody or the plot or whatever. Uh, but it's that sense of, well, I guess I guess it boils down to I'm not alone, you know, and that's mm-hmm. another underlying theme of this show is that we're all afraid of that. I mean, I had that guy's image in mind, I really did. Yeah. Or it's, cl- you know, it's, it's it's perfect. It's perfect. Uh, it's yeah, as that's, congruent that's as a, it could be.
0: Yeah, just the kind of eyebrowless. So, so there is, uh, you know, Molina and Tivon who are involved in this coversion process with. Uh, praise Can you clarify for me because I think I've gotten lost along the line? What what is it that she is? Hallucinating exactly. So what what is she seeing that other people are not seeing? Okay,
1: well you could look at uh, rather than the This is the overview Rather than uh, the premise of the matrix where all human beings are plugged into a giant computer and given a simulated reality in order to keep them psychologically and organically alive, uh, that's not happened in this world. But people have are all hallucinating a social reality uh, which is a condition of mind not not being plugged into a computer there the world actually is what it is but for reasons that we don't know yet or and which is one of the things that the show would explore there are groups of people not many but groups who are not part of that reality they see through it and they they are not physically apparent they're not phys- They're like, you know, we say, well, the homeless are invisible. Well, we don't really mean that. But they, these people literally are. The haunteds, both sides, good and not so good, uh, maybe, are mm-hmm. invisible to gotcha. the vast majority of people. Praise's right. psychological problem ultimately can be defined as she's transitioned between both worlds. She can see the haunteds. And she can deal with the sleeping dead. She just doesn't feel, you know, at all part of them. So she's a really true outsider in that sense. But she's part of both worlds. She can move between the worlds. And so she's, you know, sees Melina and validates that, uh, or, or that part of Melina. Who's, the Haunteds aren't completely uh, pure. They, they have, they're all in transition that way. So Melana can function that way too, um, and she may be sort of more uh, more aware well, she is more aware of what 's going on so we've got praise's problem is also growing up you know in just in the sense of understanding her capability, the fact that uh, that there are these different groups uh,
0: so I like so it 's essentially this nanoparticle. Virus-like uh, worldview mindset has been transmitted to everybody to the point that the people who are not susceptible to it are rendered invisible, complete. Like they've just they've just blinked out of their out of the sleeping dead's version of reality. They they can't even see them.
1: You know, I just have that is, I think the, the number one reason why I enjoy talking with you so much is because. That was just a beautiful riff on the whole thing. It encapsulated everything, but didn't simplify or crush or flatten any curve. And, I mean, that, it was just a great hyphenated, parenthetical dash of the whole thing. That uh, mm-hmm. It's a lot clearer <laughs> in my mind now.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it, and it's, it totally makes sense that that would be an element a fantastical element but an interesting one of this particular world i love the idea too that it has nothing to do with being you know trapped in a matrix i mean these people are trapped in a a kind of spiritual ideological matrix but it's it's not a simulation it's within our world which brings it i think into the 2020s in a value in a really valid way um so we begin then with this sort of active shooter drill now do we want to t shows up during that drill but do we want to take a few scenes and you know perhaps have a scene with her parents uh you know have a scene with like the school bully all these kind of tv tropes for high school dramas things like stranger things you know a kind of setting this the scene and establishing the world before diving into the action or are we just no I think you're I think that, I,
1: I, think that, that uh, I think you're right I think that, that um, it is a pilot episode and I think it needs to and I think people understand that w- what the goal of that is uh, it's to set in motion the, the, the streams of possible interaction and, and, and plot complication predicaments as Walter Mosley says uh, that are, are going to pass and and the deeper questions that that need some kind of answer or you know some sort of resolution to. So I th- and I think the characters are potentially so interesting because they are uh, absolute riffs on the classic cliches uh, and intentionally so, and can I think move. Into an entirely different realm, just by virtue of of the magnification, you know, um, mm-hmm. because there's there, the context for them is totally different, you know. So it's like taking a cartoon, you know, one cartoon from that cartoon world, and then putting it in another cartoon world, and it looks totally different, you know. You go, whoa, mm-hmm. that's not that that doesn't belong there, you know.
0: Do you think that there is? Uh, well, let me rephrase this. I think that a cool idea to add some some action to it as we're learning more about as we're learning more about praise and her her delinquency, her inability seemingly to show up for climate church. We definitely have to have a climate church scene, sermon and all in there. I think that's I okay. think that's vital. Uh, But to add some action to it, I wonder if there wouldn't be a way to include a a parallel B-plot following T-Von, but written and shot in such a way as to not not give away that he is not necessarily the villain. Like some kind of scary action scenes that when revealed through the different lens, through the lens of the end of the show that he was actually doing a kind of good thing. Because I think that, you know, I think that in, in order to keep the kind of propulsive nature of the show going, and just because I like action, I do think it would be cool to have this kind of badass character who is doing very cyberpunky style missions and, you know, meeting with shadowy figures and we're trying to figure out who he... It's still, you know... praises show but we have these interludes of of cool action
1: okay I'm going to riff on that idea and extrapolate into sort of directorial uh, cinematic terms of how it actually would get demonstrated on screen Uh, how are you with the notion of, of split Screen stuff. I've been revisiting that from a couple of different points. I mean, there's some wonderful the, the the classic '70s action shows like Charlie's Angels and stuff would all or Starsky and Hutch. They would use split screen stuff. I think that show Twenty Four Hours uh, was doing something. I, I think it stylistically if not overused, could be really interesting. And it could show, we could have this contrast between some of the action that you're calling for, which I think is absolutely needed. But that happens juxtaposed with a character building, you know, sort of quiet sort of scene. And Mm -hmm. think about, I mean, a lot of people, I've seen a lot of meaningful family conversations happen in front of a television where some dramatic action show is unfolding and the contrast is ludicrous. I've seen that multiple times in my life and it's kind of a metaphor for how we're living today. We're, we're trying to conduct conversations and relationships with this background of catastrophe and explosions and car chases and you know action you know All the action that we're really not having in our own lives, you know.
0: I do like that. I like that specifically if it's a kind of set piece. Um, Perhaps if Praise has been invited to a party, you could contrast the peaks and valleys of drama inherent to any house party with a split screen sort of hyper violent. Yeah. John Wick style fight scene that's going on. Uh I think that the cuz there would be quiet moments of it as well. Perhaps, you know, Praise has had too much to drink or something like that and she's, you know, in the bathroom and just sort of sitting on the toilet and wondering what's going on with her life and she's facing to the right and then we see, she's basically she's watching the other half of the split screen for a while just sort of passively you see what I'm saying yes I do yes I do
1: I Um, go ahead this is absolutely essential this is kind of this without I mean it is postmodern but it's postmodern in a very structural sort of way where the the very unfolding of the story the way the story is told visually and you know with sound is uh a kind of challenge to how we watch and how we you know, absorb TV shows. And I think we need a little bit of commentary on that. You know, I think that's kind of, where, where has that gone? It, it's that sort of, it's the self-conscious part of, of postmodernism. But I think that could be really interesting done that way. Not obtrusively, you know, just the way you described it. I think it would just be very organic. And this underlying sort of theme of well how how do we how has technology affected our very you know mechanisms of perception, you know? I mean that's really a big question of our time. What what are we perceiving and how are we doing that? And and what are the forces that have shaped that, you know?
0: So we have this great intro, we have uh, we have perhaps four or five scenes maybe even six of all the various and sundry ways that she is not fitting in if there are perhaps six scenes of her you know sort of messing up then perhaps every every two for every two scenes of praise there's one of t uh, going about his day and then we would culminate, I'm thinking of it almost dead center in the middle of a 45 minute episode of this party slash action scene because by that point we will have uh through the writing through the the dialogue being smart and and information dense um without being expository but still information dense character character building density We'll get to this point of now. Who who is Tivan fight, fighting with? I guess we would we have to actually come up with the B plot. Like, what is what is he trying to accomplish there?
1: Okay, I I definitely want to get to that, but I I did have a thought which I don't want to forget. Uh, I think with pray that uh, the other sort of thing that needs to be done is, you know, however montage wise or whatever, but. I think it's important that when we see her in like a school setting or in public we really don't know what she looks like. She's making a conscious effort to kind of disguise or camouflage herself. We don't know what her body shape is. She may be wearing a hoodie or she's just in her postures, you know, kind of uh, uncertain. And but we would progress into the private world of her Bedroom, And very tastefully, we would get some glimpse of what her body actually looks like. You know, maybe she you know, literally looks in a mirror. And, and we realize that she's actually much more, you know, attractive without being, you know, pretty in that Milena sense. Uh, but we, we get a feeling for, you know, the naked individual in, that, in this sense, just, just tastefully done. Okay, but now to go back to your question of why t shows up and who he's up against. Um, the I think working on the basis that the counselor is, is part of the sleeping is really, he's a, an agent for bad, uh, not just the not good, but for the bad, the baddies in the whole thing. Uh, he has maybe signed some sort of uh, certification of praise that would require apparent mental health people to take take charge of her and he's he makes the case to her that her parents are in on this and have signed her over and it's on that note that t vaughn arrives i mean i don't mind that they're coming to take me away sort of theme. i think we need to get back to that i remember a lot of good shows had that the guys in white coats showing up and i when i was you know working as a psych ward orderly i was one of the guys in the white coats and that was a real head twist for someone you know of my bent at that time in my life so I think that that's okay. So, yeah, I would say that he's, he's there because he's been watching over her and she has had some glimpses of him and isn't sure, you know, who he is and is kind of afraid because no one else sees him. Uh, but he shows up and the, the school counselor can see him and the, uh, the guys in the white coats can't. Uh, So we've got some action conflict there. And then there's the question of, well, if he rescues praise from these guys, uh, what then, you know? What then for her? And, you know, what's... We start to see some of the goals, the motivations that he's got in mind, but also some of the questions, because he may not really know, may not really have the plan, you know? Well,
0: if we have... Praise. You know, I'm thinking of the film... I'm thinking specifically of the film Blade, right? Right, Wesley Snipes,
1: <laughs> I love
0: that. With Wesley Snipes, oh. half vampire and half not. God, I if, love him. If, if Praise is a still a teenager, late teens, but still a teenager, she's got all this angst, she's sort of primed... There's no way my son is already awake. It's absolutely... No, well, he sure, his shit is awake. That's
1: what the show's about. How do you how do you really wake up? What would that really mean? Wake
0: up. But if if you know if Praise is kind of moody and emotional and unsure of herself, what if she was a kind of a half a half haunted figure herself? Somebody who is able to become invisible to the world and then visible again. Hold on, son. Well, you can go back to sleep. Nobody nobody gave you an order to wake up. There's no mission to wake up. I'm going to continue this discussion from the bed. This is how creativity works, though. Yeah. You just have to power through it. Exactly. What do you think about that?
1: Well, I, I certainly support the powering through. And I think that that is the, the thing about that that at every instant of the show we see that praise is deeply transitional across every category which you know really is appropriate to her age and something we should be encouraging and not narrowing the focus that's another way to think of what all of the forces involved uh, around her they all want to to focus her to narrow her focus to their point of view and uh, you know her question as a young person is, well, how do I bring myself into view? You know, Mm -hmm. that's kind of important to me. And uh, I'm, I'm a little bit uncertain because I, all the clues I get from the so-called adult world are very confused. Uh, My peers are equally confused. The world seems confusing, you know, Uh, help a sister out here, you know, and that's, that's the real position I, I, I think you know there's all these things of like the point of view one should have about something and then really isn't identity the big question of our time which is how do we become seen how are we seen and perceived you know uh, everybody's in that one you know
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that as the overall thematic question of these you know first 10 episodes without getting too far off track because I know that we're focusing on the pilot sometimes it's helpful to me to get a sort of broad strokes idea of where it might go I usually find that to be a great centering device for say the first chapter of a novel or in this case the pilot episode because you, you can begin to develop the story around You know, seeds that you are planting that will eventually bloom. So, do you have a kind of broad strokes idea? Or perhaps we could riff on that for, you know, maybe just five minutes. You know, we don't have to go too deep into that if you don't want to.
1: Well, I think you've raised an interesting sort of craft question, which uh, I think might interest listeners. That to me, what you've uh, differentiated between or suggested is you know, what TV shows call a Bible, you know, a kind of working plan, the court, sort of corporate standards for a series uh, versus a mythology, which is a little bit, well, it's, it's a murkier term of, of kind of the underlying principles of the world. I mean, I think a lot of people would think of this in terms of world building from a gaming point of view. Uh, you know, you have some mythological Frames constraints that inform what can and can't be done, you know, kind of the, the physics and metaphysics of, of, of the world that you're talking about. Um, but I think that the, uh, the underlying or overarching, depending on which you like better, uh, direction is that somehow praise has to stay on the loose and not fall into the hands of any of those parties completely. Somehow we have to accomplish that. So she remains a, a free agent uh, with with not always necessarily good consequences, uh, but that's, I think, the, the nature of the show. Um, mm-hmm.
0: well, I like this, yeah, because it's, it's just a... I think that you've set up... A, Perpetual episode generator machine in the vein of the uh, of the prisoner the prisoner is what it reminds me of the most actually the constant shifting of reality and identity I'm not sure if a real long form you know Philip K Dickian style universe has ever been fully realized I know we've had films but not really a good paranoid TV show in some time it's been a while
1: yeah I, I'm, I' I really like just that simple description, a really good paranoid TV show because I'm I'm as nostalgic for that as you are for uh, the 1970s New York that you couldn't possibly we've talked about that phenomenon before mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think that, that those those the meld between those, what I've just said, is exactly the tonal quality of the show, and I think people are hungry for that, um, and and then I guess the, the 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 game of the show, and that's my theory that any kind of engagement is is modeled on uh, the game game theory basically, um, is that. Uh, we never, we never really know who's in charge. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to somehow meet that. That that's you know that that's one of the problems with these great shows. And the prisoner was was like that lost. You know, a lot of shows that that have interesting metaphysical. The problem is, well, what, is, what will be the final. Resolution and how unsatisfying will ambivalence be? You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, a necessary ambivalence.
0: So, by the end of this episode, then, of this pilot episode, Prey should, should be hitting the road, right? She should be completely untethered, she should just be out there. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, like yeah, like all these shows like Nowhere Man, The Incredible Hulk, The Fugitive. Yeah, I think she has to be you you've said it so simply. She has to uh to be a teenage runaway. Uh Yeah, here we go. And that's very poignant for me here. I don't know if I took you past the uh the, when you were here in Vegas past the, there's a great old hotel. That it just it's a it's early Tom Waits just structurally rendered and the neon it's just everything about it is is just lost and tragic and and haunting and it always has this notice board of posters of missing teenage girls and it you just can't walk past it and not be moved in some way Mm -hmm. it's just so haunted and and your thoughts are just you know naturally sad um, I could see hopeful. that as a
0: final shot to the first episode of her checking into a hotel and walking, not paying any attention to, but we see it as the viewer. Uh, and the camera sort of zooms in on it, you know, just nothing but pictures of missing girls as she's going up to her room. I think that would make a nice ending for a pilot episode. Yeah,
1: that would. Oh, that... See, and I think that... Uh, there are a couple of good things that come out. I think that when you do have some kind of working uh, premise for a, a world overall. And I think that Dave and I have shown that there's a lot of, of, of detail that, that needs to be added as, as is appropriate because uh, we're also not showing storyboards here, you know, and uh, you know, we're, we're just making it up very on the fly completely. Uh, but the, the real story is 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 the people and i think this uh this character of praise would be a really interesting evolutionary role to take on as an actor and i think the character molina would be really fantastic Tivon needs some more development i think uh i think what you did with with Malina and and the natural ambiguity in her character uh it would be really fun to to play you know
0: um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah i think that that's a good example for the listener and i want to continue doing uh, fun challenges like this i think that this is the a good direction for the show because you know we can slip in a lot of interesting stuff too but i uh i think that that's pretty much what a first writer's meeting would look like of course it would probably go on for you know four or five hours we're not going to do a four or five hour podcast, but I think that's, I, I, I'm pretty satisfied with that. That felt creatively engaging and invigorating.
1: Yeah, me too. Me too. I think, you know, this is the, the, the model for, for the for the conversations we're all really seeking, I think, where there is this sort of energy flow. And you really feel like you're you're building something together, or you're you're playing a game together. There's a triangulation. I think the problem with with so many conversations is it's kind of a just a back and forth, and it reminds me of that early video game Pong. You know, remember? Right. I it just that was so mindlessly stupid, and and yet it was hypnotic. You know, and it's easy to fall into that kind of of trap where conversations are only kind of a back and forth rather than this building something and one of the the things that we've stressed across the show is these imaginative challenges and david has has, uh really just come up with some amazing things from uh the prompts that i've i've given him but also the sense of of kind of creating something that can evolve with something of a life of its own uh, a melody line a, a kind of a rhythm a flow of patterns and motifs of ideas that that kind of circulate and 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 escalate and and reform and riverize through the conversation and that's the only way that you you have conversations that you can at all really remember you know think about it i mean so much of, of, of the world is hiding in simple phrases, small talk. You know, Dave mentioned small talk. You think about that for a moment. That's a really, really powerful idea that, that talk can be small and that there's a kind of pejorative quality to that. But it often really is small and we let it be small because we're not really working with each other in active ways of having a project. You know having a game building something you know sketching out the idea of a show i mean that's a great exercise for people to engage in of just kind of speculating together which you know is what people used to do to a large much greater extent
0: i think that if you engage in creative exercises like this and you separate yourself from a material goal, because you and I, as of yet, have have no intentions of turning the Haunted's into a television show. It works just as an exercise. That, Every time I've, yeah. I've been hooked up with people to to brainstorm, it's with the intention, you know, that this is going to, we're going to pitch this. This is going to be a, a series, or this is what about this for a series of books and. I think to myself you know what if we just did this for fun you know the people who have the clearest line on this are folks are gms game masters for dungeons and dragons campaigns these people will spend hours crafting detailed detailed fantasy campaigns that will only ever be shared with them and the six friends who show up to play the game and Though I'm very inspired right now by Dungeons and Dragons and the idea of creating, like, generating this world with you and your friends, in which they are able to maneuver within it and play with it and fuck with it, but they're, but you have also given them that space to play in, and uh, I'm not ashamed to admit that I've been listening to a few podcasts that are simply, you know, very funny, very entertaining people playing games of uh, you know tabletop RPGs like cyberpunk 2020 etc.
1: There's something deeply fascinating going on with this process that I mean I think even if you're not part of that world and you're dealing with it in, as I am in fairly metaphorical terms, I can see that they're great laboratories of learning about the nature of culture which is a, a tremendously mysterious process which you know is always unfolding so there's that that consensual hallucination idea which you know we really can think of, of, of society and the notion of, of humanity uh, as being a consensual hallucination uh, that's really the nature of, of culture to some extent and how mm-hmm. that works and how that reflects any kind of possibly uh, larger reality is you know it's pretty mysterious and there's no way to really break in or you know to to be able to to move between the worlds is very difficult you're kind of you're doing well Mm -hmm. to have a group that shares that consensual sort of reality and is uh as passionate and as engaged as those communities can be so i think that's a cool buzz i mean i certainly think the anthropology of it appeals to me, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. But also, you know, I would just, I would recommend to my, uh, my friends and to the, our audience here that, uh, you go out and try this for yourself because I do it. I do it all the time with, uh, with friends and and other people who are close to me, I like uh, riffing. I like comedic riffing. I like narrative riffing, uh, and I, I really enjoy this. What do you What do you think we should do next time? Should we continue along this creative path, or did you have a specific uh, sort of theme in mind? Because I'm I'm happy t- either way. I'm having a really good time doing this kind of thing.
1: Well, okay, I've got I've got th- uh, three possible suggestions. Uh, One is uh, sort of an obvious one of, we kind of have a debrief on this session and uh, sort of looking at at what kind of, um, well, not so much conclusions to be drawn, but things that kind of we retain as, you know, after echo thoughts, you know, what what sort of implications Mm -hmm. or, you know, that kind of a debrief. Uh, The other possibilities we take on board uh, a whole new challenge that you come up with. Uh, mm-hmm. We could do that. Uh, the other thing is that maybe we, we go back to our um, voyaging discovery, both imaginary and, and real physical exploration with some of this thought of uh, the collaborative nature of speculation. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: if, we, if we're saying that, that culture uh, one of its manifestations is this kind of community building based around a, a consensually uh, accepted worldview. Uh, how that ac- actually works in, in, in the real world terms, you know, how does that then affect the larger society sort of sense? Are, are we all just these island communities you know islands are so big in mythology they're so big in the history of literature uh it's all about islands no man is an island john doesn't you know question i mean maybe that's not true <laughs> you know maybe uh maybe islands are exactly what we are and what we need are maps and adventures and and matangs and you know connections between it just to uh to accept that uh and then to you know really respect the, the organic nature of the communities and habitats that uh, evolve around the individual island. Um, so those are three options. Which appeals to you of those three?
0: You know, as I was thinking about which one to choose, I thought, well, we could probably kind of hit all three next episode. We could do a debrief. Oh, we could. I, I could I could bring a new a new thing for us to to chat about and and we can weave the the third segment into the second part into the discussion perhaps so you know
1: I think that the third part which is the exploration discovery uh, all of the things that fit under that magic that's that's always there because that's really kind of built into our thinking, you know? I I think that's always going to be there and it's just a question of how we tune up, the, you know, turn up the volume on it, you know. Mhm.
0: Mhm. Exactly. Well, on that note, did you have a tip and a tool? I a do.
1: Dream? I do. I do. Uh and and you know they're they're all sort of uh, connected, um, but Dave and I have talked about the, the the technique of inversion and how powerful that can be. It's related to also antonym and synonym therapy, as I've described it. But I wanted to give a really practical example of how I think inversion can work very positively as the tool, because I think that. There are lots of things that are available, resources that are out there for us as principles, as ideas that we agree with. But they're not meaningful unless we actually apply them and we all we often forget that. We think that sort of the knowledge of something is the application of it and it's just not so. So I wanted to give a real example of inversion and how it can work positively in our lives. I want us to think about the word intimidating or intimidation, that sense, okay? That, I think, is however, you know, we define There is a common ground in, in situations that we find intimidating to us as opposed to creating outright fright or nausea or disgust or enjoyment, you know? Intimidation is, is a kind of uh, tonal Thing that has some definition for us. We know when we're in that frame. And I want us to then invert that and think of the inversion of intimidation is welcome, welcome. I think that's a beautifully simple word that is often underrated and it can be seen in very cliched terms and kind of overly positive. Uh, or it can be, you know, a very straightforward, just open-ended Uh, what it really means it means welcome you know it you're here and that's cool and that's not saying anything about what's going to happen next Um, but if we think of an intimidating situation as a kind of welcome think how that might look it might look very differently it might be a welcome we're not ready for yet and that's my full definition of intimidation rethink intimidating experiences whatever they might be, you know, whatever they might be. Mm -hmm. We're all going to have them at some point. Uh, Rethink of them as as welcomes, welcomes that we may not be ready for, but that might be uh, really important. And I guarantee you, you will instantly uh, feel a little bit less vulnerable anyway, a little bit less intimidated, more welcome. I
0: like that. I like that. If you've ever been to... Uh, the first family gathering of your uh, soon-to-be wife's enormous extended Mexican family can be quite intimidating. That's and, what I'm talking been, about. Yeah, that's a great it's example. Literally an, it's, an, it's literally an intimidating welcome. You know, they're very welcoming, very friendly, but you know, that kind of feeling is what comes to mind. But I like this idea of expanding that out into intimidating scenarios in general. You know, it's welcoming you into a new path. Any birth is going to be difficult. And you can, I like to think of myself as moving down tubes. Like the movie Donnie Darko, when they have those strange gelatinous uh, extensions from their chests that show them where they're going to move in time. I like to think of Robert Anton Wilson's reality tunnels, but I, I visualize the tunnels as being real and... There are easy tunnels and there are hard tunnels. The hard tunnels can be intimidating, unappealing uh, due to difficulty, uh, unappealing due to boredom or monotony, but that barrier to entry on those tunnels usually yields more gold.
1: Right, exactly, exactly. Well said, well said. Well, here's the tip of the week. And it really comes from a very personal place for me. Uh, but it's simply follow your curiosity. If you have a question, take the time to do a little research in it. And I'll, I'll tell you my personal example is that I've I had a lot of questions about that very formative group of. Uh, kids that I knew in elementary school and I I've been really haunted by by those questions Uh, and I have done a little bit of of googling and research in the past I have it's been kind of uh, it's been there but just of late I pulled together some threads and the picture that I got from the the composite of this knowledge that I I was able to research out has been really, really powerfully inspiring and strange and disconcerting as well. Uh, And inspiration should be disconcerting. Uh, it, It was worth the time. It was absolutely worth the time. And there are there's a lot of information about ourselves and the, the, the trajectories of our lives that we can find out. We can gain some new perspectives. That's the hardest thing to do is to gain a new perspective of oneself and the vectors involved. We can do that. We really can. It takes a, a little effort, though. And I just think, if you have questions about things, even if they're a silly sort of seeming quote, like whatever happened to so-and-so, you know, maybe that's an important thing to follow up on. Maybe that's really important. uh, Because I found some interesting stuff, and I'll only share one detail. Uh, There was one uh, guy in, uh, particularly uh, third and fourth grade who seemed to be the conduit, uh, the conductor of all the new, any sort of nasty word that we didn't know. He was the one who seemed to introduce it. Uh, there was an anthropology to it, that, and people like Edward T. Hall have talked about it. There's often some figure like this. And there may be structural reasons implied. For instance, he had Quite a number of older brothers and sisters, so he had a lot more exposure than most of it. And he was also a fr- pretty local uh, neighbor, one. But he was a real introducer of nastiness in, in all its different, you know, language forms. Anyway, well, I found a picture of him today, and it is so appropriate that I'm just stunned. It is, and I looked and I thought. I didn't really need to sort of see him captioned, that's the guy. That's the conduit. You know? And so, but anyway, the bigger, the bigger uh, tip is uh, follow, follow your curiosity. You know, Joseph Campbell said, follow your bliss. And we, I don't know if we need a lot of bliss, really, but we need a lot more curiosity.
0: Absolutely. Excellent. Well, I know that before we started this, you had mentioned not being sure if you wanted to uh, do the regular ending segments as, as we normally do them. What, what do
1: you think? Well, I, I, I have a follow-up dream to end on, as, as, we, as we usually do. Uh, and it, uh, it's an extension of my tip about uh, research into the past if you have questions because uh, one individual really did stand out he was uh, one of my immediate peers he was the quarterback on uh, a team that I was a halfback I mean I really he was but he was kind of a hero too and I found out that he's doing something that is really cool I can't share it, I'm actually gonna reach out to him and see if I can uh, possibly meet up with him. He, uh, that would be something to work out. It's, it's an interesting idea. But um, he showed up in, in one of my uh, recent dreams and I think the dream may have kind of uh, inspired sort of some of the thinking behind the, the Haunted's uh, show premise. Because I had been taken in hand by uh, some people and, and two of the critical uh, people sort of that I was in the custody of uh, were women, a shadowy figure. I couldn't really quite pull them into focus. Uh, but there were there were multiple people, not just women there was there was a group of people, and I was being called to uh, confess something, and I really didn't know what it was that that I, I didn't know if it was a question of mistaken identity or or not, you know. But in any case, I I, I was intimidated. It was wasn't a good situation. It wasn't fear, but it was it was discomfort, and this uh, figure that uh, from my past, this uh, quarterback friend, sort of uh, hero figure from my past, entered into my dream just exactly sort of on cue, like a kind of spiritual guardian presence, unashamedly within the dream. And uh, he let me out of the car that I was, had been in, that I'd been driven in, kind of this limo a kind of a down market limo with all these people who'd kind of taken me in hand and were going to make me confess to something and he got me out of there and it was just a reassuring sense of this is going to be okay because i i really am not alone you know